Post-production for this episode of Fruit Bowl is sponsored by Spaces, the new chat-based app for queer people to connect over all the things they're passionate about. Join a space and chat about your favorite topics, or create a space of your own and invite your friends, or share it with the larger community. All in a safe, LGBT-friendly environment powered by Hornet. Look for Spaces in the App Store now. When I was growing up in Kansas in the 1980s, there were no conversations about queer subjects except for on talk shows like Donahue and Oprah and the occasional character on a broadcast sitcom or drama. I longed to have someone, anyone, to talk to about my emerging sexuality. I often tell people that Fruit Bowl is the kind of resource I wished I had when I was growing up. And I suspect a few of my listeners are people who are new to queer sex and queer culture. I think of Fruit Bowl as a way for us to discover each other's different methods for living and loving and fucking in a meaningful and authentic way. It's a platform for queer people to tell our stories on our terms. Right now, there are laws that are being crafted that severely limit the ability for queer people to learn about our culture and protect people in our community. Laws that determine who can say gay in classrooms. Laws that decide how trans people can play sports or how parents of trans kids are allowed to raise their children. Since the beginning of 2022, Republicans in 11 different states have introduced homophobic and anti-trans legislation. Just one more example of queer people being used to fire up conservative voters in preparation for midterm elections. Florida, Idaho, Iowa, Louisiana, Missouri, Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee, Arizona, Alaska. If you live in one of these states, please write to your leaders, organize, and look for opportunities to help support our community. Let's show these assholes that they messed with the wrong group, and we are now just as motivated to fight as they are. It's been a while since I acknowledged my new Patreon donors, so I would like to give a very big thanks to Dave and Alonzo, Jonathan P., Patrick G., Mike H., Hugo C.M., Eric D., Paul, Chris H., Cyrus S., and Robert for becoming my latest patrons. That brings us to 42 patrons who, together, donate a total of $256 a month. My goal for this year is to get to $500 a month to help pay for production, staff, and promotion. I just launched a new patron donation tier that includes exciting video extras. The Salad Tosser tier gets all the standard benefits like advanced access to episodes and behind-the-scenes updates, but Tossers are provided exclusive access to all of the bonus video content, including outtakes from current episodes and, starting this month, video clips from the archive. The first video featured from the archive is Jason from Season 1, Episode 1 describing his adventure with a balloon fetishist. Go to patreon.com slash podcast to check out the different options for donating. 
as I mentioned in the beginning of this season, I am now accepting short form listener submissions to be included in future episodes. Just record yourself with your phone's voice memo and tell a sexy story or maybe something you've learned over the years and email the file to dave at fruitballpodcast.com and I'll feature it on a future episode. Or you can submit a story via the Spaces app, Fruit Bowl's new sponsor. This app is really cool. It lets you create and join different chat rooms that are both public and private. I created three Fruit Bowl spaces there. One is for general Fruit Bowl news and conversations. One is a private group that you can ask to join called Fruit Bowl After Dark for more sexy, not safe for work content. And also a kink discussion group called Kinky Queers. I'm really excited about the potential of this app, and it's not just because they're my sponsor. You know, so many social media platforms are hostile to queer media, especially when sex is the subject. Just the other day, a friend of mine had his account shut down by Instagram for no reason at all. He had 16,000 followers. It was just gone one morning. And I hear about this sort of thing happening all the time without any justification or due process. It's, it's crazy. Spaces is queer-owned and built for queer users. It's a place where we can share our stories without fear of being censored. So check it out and come say hi in the Fruit Bowl spaces. I check them every day and I'm having a lot of fun dishing with fans and listeners. We are ready to listen to our very kinky, self-described sexual anarchist, Ari. I often think of Fruit Bowl interviewees as subversive by nature. You kind of have to be an anarchist to share stories about queer sex. I mean, it's a subject so volatile and potentially divisive that Republicans exploit us to inflame conservatives. And Ari is someone who is more than happy to light the match. So that's enough from me. Now, here's Ari. Transitioned and feeling like super good in my body and like having amazing sex. Like I get to like experience my body now. I get to be not just who wants to have sex with me. It's like, who do I want to have sex with? What do I want the sex to look like? How do I want to receive pleasure? This is Fruit Bowl. An oral history of queer sex. My name is Ari. I am 33 and I graduated high school in 2006. This episode was recorded in June of 2021 in Portland. Please be advised this interview contains descriptions of suicide ideation. Until I was 10, we lived in, my family lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or just outside of there, a little tiny, you know, suburb, very white and middle class. And then when I was 10, we actually moved to Tucson, Arizona, um, which was a hell of a, a cultural shift. You know, the Midwest is very like 
polite, and and then we moved to Tucson, and it was definitely more like just like kind of a harder scene and um, not like this feeling of neighborliness and ultimately it was really good for me it kind of like brought me out of my shell and I I felt like I fit in more there like I was very shy growing up in Milwaukee because I didn't look like the other people there all my classmates were like you know these Aryan babies were like blonde hair and blue eyes and like perfect and I'm like over here like total spaz you know like kind of hairy and dark hair and you know complexion and all this sort of stuff so when I moved to Tucson I was like oh I kind of I look like everybody here that's cool all right now I get to like actually have a personality my mom and my dad knew each other from high school and they were together since they were like 16, I think. And they got married really young at 19. And then um, they were together for like 30 years or something like that. And then um, they had my brother. And then three years later, they had me. Um, my family was very strict, almost to like militaristic, very into the way that we looked and the way that we um, presented to the outside world and also like Christian family like we went to church every Sunday we you know I went to youth group we did we did all the things we needed to be this perfect nuclear family and we weren't (laughs) unfortunately we just couldn't get there but everyone thought that we were so and yeah my brother and I have never really had a close relationship my dad was like go to work make money for the household and you know be emotionally void and my mom was you know kind of sick growing up a lot so I kind of played that caretaker role because I was the other female in the house and uh that kind of like was just the the assumed role for me um and my brother just kind of went and did his own thing and you know was just a a young boy who was able to do whatever he desired so yeah I was so extremely sheltered I don't think I really got to understand that sex was a thing until after I moved to Tucson because there was this like puritanical kind of experience in Milwaukee, you know, just outside of Milwaukee in this kind of suburb area, suburban area that was, yeah, it was very Christian. It was very white. Everything was edited. There was no access to anything. The internet wasn't there. Sex just didn't exist there. Right. And so when I moved to Tucson, it was like a whole new world because there was not this sort of like puritanical white Christian environment. And so I remember being on the bus and I'm sure I was 10 riding to school. And I remember these boys in the back of the school bus were talking, I think they were talking about maybe their older brother or something like that. They were very vulgar. They didn't know what they were saying. I was not a fan of them, but I was also very curious as to like, 
what are they talking about? Like, what exactly is happening? And so I remember going to the library and looking at, I think it was just like one of those really big dictionaries, like an Oxford dictionary, and, and looking up like woman, you know? And, and it had like these diagrams like of a woman's body and just being like fascinated of like, okay. I mean, like I'd seen like my mom's naked body before, but I had never, my mom didn't let me watch TV that was, you know, had sex in it. Or the most that I saw was like people kissing. And I was like, okay, ew, gross. Um, but I remember looking at these diagrams of bodies and being like, okay, so there's that. And I get that. And also I don't understand the rest. Like it was like the secret that I wasn't in on. And I remember actually that boy came up to me while I was looking in the dictionary, that same boy, and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh my God, like he made me feel like I was like doing something wrong. So I like slammed the dictionary shut. And I remember he went and told the teacher on me and I got in trouble for reading the dictionary and trying to understand what a body was and what different parts of the body bodies were. And I, yeah, I, I think after that point, I was just like very curious. And anytime anyone said anything, I was like, you know, like stuck like glue. I remember being like in fifth grade. So, but I remember being in one of the like play structures and somebody said something about a condom. And I was like, what is a condom? What does that mean? And they like explained it. And I was just like, what? are you even talking about? I don't understand any of this. And just being like a glutton for like any sort of information that I could possibly get around sex. Being raised in Christianity, it was definitely like, you don't have sex until you're married. And I was like, yeah, you don't have sex until you're married, of course. I don't know what that means, but yeah, absolutely. Otherwise you go to hell, you know? And so I think throughout my my younger years, you know, especially getting into like high school and things like that, and I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of like, I feel attraction sometimes or like I feel horny or whatever. It was like, nope, absolutely. Like farthest I'm going to go is I'm going to kiss people and hug and that's it because I don't want Jesus to be mad at me. I'm saving myself for marriage, which now I look back, I'm like, oh, sweet thing. <laughs> that's good. You can use that so you don't have to go further with the boys that you don't actually want to like be intimate with or sexual with. The first time that I got those feelings of like, something is happening in my body from an external source, <laughs> This is so stupid and funny. Um, it was listening. Um, it was ludicrous. What's your fantasy? I can't, I still can't believe that this is on the radio. Like still to this day, I'm like, oh my God, that song is kinky as fuck. And I remember just like every time that would come on the radio, I was just like mind blown. Oh my God. I, not only am I turned on, but like, they're talking, he's talking about all of these like different sex positions and different like kinks and different like 
just like dirty things that just like made my whole body light up and it like gave me goosebumps and I didn't know what to do with that and I was just like I was very careful like anytime I listened to it, it was like oh, I'm in my room the volume is like all the way down or whatever or I'm at my friend's house and we're listening to it and we're both kind of like feeling awkward because we're both like kind of turned on but like maybe we shouldn't be together and like all this sort of stuff but like we love the song and uh and I swear to god like I, I could probably listen to that song again today and just be like oof Okay, Ludacris knew what he was talking about, like, when he wrote that song. And I'm like, I'm living, like, you know, what's your fantasy? Like, I'm living all of those now. <laughs> it feels so good. <laughs> there was a lot of wild things on the internet at that point. Oh is, my god. Is this the two girls in a cup era? This is like two girls in a cup era. This is like people putting mason jars in their ass. Like this was like rotten.com where like you could see the raunchiest things. I probably just like ask Jeeves like sex video, you know what I mean? Or something like that. And then kind of stumbling upon like different porn websites. Obviously, like, clearing out the history after, because, oh my god. And then stumbling upon, like, oh, there are men that have sex with other men, too. There's not just, like, this one type of sex. And so, like, while that didn't resonate with me, it was also, like, there's stuff I'm not being told. There are all these secrets. There are all these things that, like, nobody is telling me about. And I'm having to, like, learn them on my own and, like, just be really confused by it. And just, like, that's a thing? That's a thing that, like, people do and people can do? Like, what else is there? You know? And, like, eventually learning, like, there are women that have sex with women. And for a long time I was like, but that's, well, that's not sex. Because my understanding of sex is like this, you know? And I'm like, oh, sex is anything you make it. Like, sex is anything by yourself that feels good, that feels sexual. Like, if you have to ask yourself the question, like, is that sex? It's probably sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably when I was like, you know maybe 11 or 12 or something. It was kind of like, I think it was my mom like sitting me down on my bed and being like, you're gonna have your period. This is what it's gonna be like. And then you could get pregnant after that point. So make sure you don't have sex, otherwise you'll get pregnant. And I was like, oh my God, okay. Yeah, I don't wanna get pregnant. You know, and my family was like very judgmental of like, pregnancy out of wedlock, um, you know, there was never any sort of understanding that, like, there's pleasure involved in sex. I feel like in our generation, there was just, like, scare them straight. Otherwise, you're going to get AIDS and you're going to die. And I, and I don't know that, like, my parents knew much different than that either. Mm -hmm. I think it was kind of like a, genera a generational thing and also, you know, being super Christian and all this sort of stuff, they were just kind of regurgitating what they had heard or what they had learned um, to just, like, try and keep me safe, I guess. I guess it did. 
It also made me very unhappy for a really long time and think that, like, oh, I'm some sort of, like, sick sex pervert. That took a long time to, like, get out of my head, even to this day. Also seeing, seeing like, gay people or trans people or anybody in media is, like, there's always this portrayal of, like, deviancy and not deviancy in, like, the really good way that I experience now, you know? It's like, oh, being deviant is, like, a gift. That's, like, freedom, not, like, filled with shame about having sexual desires that are completely natural and wanting to experience my body and someone else's body and how those things work together. My family is from Cyprus, and so... We went to Cyprus, and we were staying in this little, like, condo hotel thing. And at some point, my family decided that they wanted to go out or something. And for whatever reason, I, I stayed behind. I was, you know, I'm just going to relax here, maybe watch some TV or something. I was 13, and I had, like, very little knowledge about sex or what it was or what it entailed or anything like that. And I remember flipping through the channels, and at some point, I got to a channel that was, like, definitely scrambled. There were colors, and there was... The audio was actually what came through best. And I'm hearing these moans and the sounds of sex for the first time, and I'm just, like, I'm feeling, like butterflies and I'm feeling like a heat sensation happening like in my body and in like this whole area down here and I don't like this is the first time that I've really like experienced that or whatever I don't know what to do with this but there's some sort of energy that like needs to be expelled and I so I just remember like rubbing myself against like the corner of the couch and just being like oh this is like there's like a lot of hot, like there's hot happening. Um, I don't understand it. And I think that was the first time that I ever came and was just like, I don't know what that was, but that was like really good. It's funny, like now I'm kind of picking up, there's always sort of this like audio sense to things. After that, it was like, okay, I'm like, I'm masturbating in my room, you know, on the corner of something, you know, humping a pillow or something soft like that. And I was always listening to, I remember Loveline would be on, you know, and so I would turn it like as low as I possibly could on my radio and I would just listen to these stories and just listen to, you know, people's experiences. And then it would sort of kind of get my, you know, get the juices flowing and I'm like, oh my gosh. And after that, I was just like, this is amazing. Well, I can do this. It's not hurting anybody, right? Like, I'm not going to get pregnant. I'm not going to get disease. And I'm like, amazing. This is perfect. So, yeah. I knew that, like, this is not something that I can tell anyone about whatsoever. But also, like, I don't think God would be mad at me for this. I fell in love with Mariah Carey, like, very young. (laughs) 
my mom had, um, I think it was a Daydream CD, and I remember just like I would listen to it like over and over, and like sit with the pamphlet and just like read and just like look at all the pictures, and I was like, I love Mariah Carey. I want Mariah Carey to be my best friend, and that was the first CD that I bought. And I took that pamphlet out, the little you know insert whatever, and I just like put it up into my mirror. And I think like it was okay because like I was like female at the time, and you know it was like oh I just like I love her so much, and I love her music and all this stuff, and I'm like oh I like. I like really loved her like a lot and now I'm like still like oh, I would climb her like a tree oh my god she is just like everything there was this girl in my brother's grades like three three grades above me and she was just always so nice to me her name was Sarah she was really pretty and she was so sweet to me and I didn't ever really have that you know, that older, like slightly older um, person, like giving me attention. You know, my brother was kind of cold to me and, and he, he only had like guy friends and stuff like that. So she really like gave me a lot of attention and was very kind. And so we started, I don't know how it happened, but we started writing notes to each other. We started like writing letters and we kind of like became pen pals. And, and I remember I, I just like, I held on to those letters for so long. And, and again, it was kind of this feeling of like, wow, this is like, this is like a real friendship. This is like really beautiful. And recognizing like, oh, I was like madly in love with her. I came out at 19 and at first there was, you know, sort of like acceptance. And then the next day, you know, I remember my mom coming to me and being like, I'm not okay with this. You're going to go to hell. I'm not going to get grandkids now. What is this going to look like to my friends, to the, to the rest of the family? Now I have to like tell them. And I left and I drove to this like remote spot out in the desert and I just like cried the hardest like I'd ever cried in my life just with that like deep intense like full body yell cry because I was so alone and then after that my mom went and talked to actually my youth group leader who at the time wasn't out as a lesbian I think she helped my mom understand like you either accept your child and have a relationship or you don't and it's going to be really harmful and so I think it's sort of like it ebbed and flowed of these like waves of grief and for a moment there was anger <laughs> and I think they kind of settled on anger the more that I tried to like open myself up and understand my identity as a <laughs> at that point, a lesbian. And especially growing up in Tucson, it's a very binary place. It's getting better now, but like, you know, I got spit on, I got yelled at, I got, you know, threatened, like all of these things. And that was just, that was just normal. That was just daily occurrence. When I got my first girlfriend, there was MySpace at the time and we posted a kissing photo and it was a big deal. And eventually they just sort of like, 
ostracize me from the family. Um, before I transitioned, there was a long time where I was kind of like inching my way out of the closet and like trying things on. I remember at one point I went to visit for Thanksgiving and, and my mom is very bad about like personal boundaries. And so, you know, I remember I was changing and she just like walked into the room and I was wearing chest compression. And she kind of looked at me curiously and was like, what is that? And I was like, it's a, it's a binder. And she was like, why? And I was like, well, because I like the way it looks when my chest is flattered. She was like, well, you don't want to be a man, do you? And I was like, frozen? Because I never really asked myself that question. And so I think even though that was like a really judgmental, you know, question, it first put that thought into my head. I became extremely depressed when I was up at college and I didn't feel like I had any support or anything like that. And I remember just, you know, I told my roommate, like, I'm having really bad thoughts. And they were like, you have to talk to your parents. And so I, you know, I ended up talking to them and, and being like, I need support. And at that point, we stitch by stitch started to kind of like repair our relationship. Um, but it took, oh my God, did it take so much effort. I became really sick in my mid-twenties. Um, I got Lyme disease. I ended up, you know, with the physical and neurological and all sorts of other disabilities, which I still struggle with to this day, but I wasn't being supported by them. And my mom was actually asking me for support. And I was like, this is actually like going to affect me physically. And it's either you or me, and I got to pick me. And there was like huge like pushback on that. There still is, and I still don't talk to her because there's no benefit to it for me. There's only really like hardship and pain. And that really sucks to not like have a mom that I can have a relationship with. I have a relationship with my dad. It's distant. We communicate maybe once a month by phone call and just kind of like catch up on like what the happenings are. I haven't had a relationship with my mom for six years. It's okay because I've got my own family now and I, you know, I don't rely, I don't rely on them for anything, for emotional support or finances or, you know, for lo for years now. And if they want to be in my life, this is the person that I am. And it's a gift to you, <laughs> ultimately, to see me living a really, truly happy life, which is what I would hope that any parent would want for their kid. My first time was with my first girlfriend. I was in school in Flagstaff. I was in college, I was 19. And I think this is my second year of college. So I had come out and met this person. And they, so they were living in Tucson and it was like a four hour difference. So, you know, on the weekends, like I would try and drive down to see them or they would drive up and see me. 
And the first time that they came up to stay with me, I was living in the dorms, and there was like a, a main living room and then like a bedroom, and I had two two roommates. And so we decided we would sleep on the futon, put the futon out. And I didn't know a lot about like gay sex at that time or like different ways of having sex or what it would look like. You know, I had only had like some experiences with men at that point, never any sort of like penetrative anything really. And so I remember just like laying on the futon with them and and we're kissing and I think maybe they they definitely like had been with with people before. They were definitely like more sexually experienced than I was. I think they were actually a year younger than me. They were 18. But they had been out for at least a couple years. They had had other girlfriends, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had never I had never done like anything really. It felt really sweet. It wasn't like super fumbly. I think we were both like, you know, kind of like slowly taking each other's clothes off and, you know, we're both wearing like t-shirts and like basketball shorts or something like that, you know, on this like creaky, kind of lumpy, uncomfortable futon and and the um, the light from outside was like this like yellow glow from the, the street lights. I think it was just, it was really like sweet and it was slow and I specifically like remember the smell. I don't think I was like very active in things, you know, it being my first time. There was a lot of like kissing and like caressing and just like grinding and, you know, I think there was like oral and maybe some like fingering and things like that. And I don't remember if I came or not. I probably didn't. Now looking back, I'm like, I'm really glad, you know, that that, that was the experience, you know. It didn't feel bad at all. It didn't feel like shameful or uncomfortable or anything. It was just kind of like, just really like curious and explorative. The more comfortable I get with my body, the more I'm able to trust other people, um, the more able to say what I'm comfortable with and what I want and what I want to experience and things like that. Like I had never had sex with a penis owner ever until a year ago. I met this guy through Grinder, so we were texting back and forth and kind of like negotiating like what it is that both of us want to experience. It was very straightforward and I was like, I think maybe this could feel kind of affirming to me. Like I'm kind of having these fantasies and I think I might want to do this and like try it. And like it was not that big of a deal. Like, I think growing up, there was so much, like, I mean, it was all negative, you know. It was negative from the Christian standpoint of things. It was negative, you know, when I identified as a lesbian. It was negative, you know, feedback from, like, other partners who used to have sex with 
men and things like that. And so I was nervous, but I was like, I'm going to try it. I want to be able to have like an open mind and say like, you know, I want to try this thing. And I guess I was like so surprised to be like afterwards be like, oh, that wasn't like that big of a deal. Like, and I kind of have this thinking of like, try everything twice. Because <laughs> I'm like, well, maybe like the first time, like it was a fluke or like maybe it wasn't the right thing or whatever. And so I ended up having sex with another man and I was like, okay, like, this is like, can be pleasurable, can be fun, can be nice. For me personally, I don't know that like, I necessarily want a relationship with a man, but do I enjoy having sex with them sometimes? Like, yeah, for sure. So I think like, just asking specific questions about like, who are you? What are you looking for? And kind of like sussing out, who is this person exactly? before I like maybe I meet up with them or something like that. And so I think with that first person, you know, it was really like, what are, what are their responses to like these questions that I'm asking them? Like, how are they communicating with me? Um, and then, you know, meeting up with them and being like, oh, they're like a really gentle, kind person. You know, like I don't know them, but like I can sense that like they aren't a person who's going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was really important for me, you know, having had all this, this media tell me that, like, I'm going to get hurt, I'm going to get raped, I'm going to get any of these things. And I think that was part of the reason why, you know, I didn't explore things for such a long time. And now I feel like, okay, I feel confident, I feel comfortable in my body, in my ability to protect myself that I can, you know, have a wider gamut of experiences and experiment with things that I want to because I'm going to do it in a way that keeps myself safe. I mean, I know when I'm like, when I'm texting with someone and they're like, oh, I've always wanted to. And I'm like, ugh, no, thank you. I'm not interested like in being your first trans guy experience. And I think like that's been something that I've struggled with too in relationship with cis women, with non-binary people, with gay men, like whoever it is that I'm being intimate with is like, what is your experience? I'm not going to be like your token trans hookup. That's not gonna be the intention. The intention of this is intimacy, is pleasure, is you know like exploring each other's bodies and things like that and also on the on the flip side (laughs) i've been with someone who identified as non-binary and they kind of only dated trans men and so when we were dating it was like oh i've been with trans men before and i was like that equally feels bad because you're just reducing me to like a trans guy trope or what whatever your experience has been or like I know how your body works because I've been with trans men before. And it's like, my body works different as anyone else's body works. So like, ask me questions, be curious. This isn't just like a one size fits all kind of thing of like, I know how to do this. Like anybody who's like, I know how to do this. Like you don't know how to do this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
I first fell in love at 19. I was working at this restaurant in Tucson. I think it was called Old, Old Pueblo Grill. And so it had like, yeah, it had like a separate like bar area. So we would serve in there. And so, you know, everyone's drinking, there's alcohol and everyone's, the bartenders are funneling us booze and styrofoam cups and stuff like that. So everyone's drinking Red Bull and vodkas on shift and whatever. Um, but I was like serving in the bar and there was another person who served there. Their name was Katie and they were out as a lesbian. Their ex actually worked there as well, which... Of course, like, so incestuous, right? <laughs> and, yeah, they were kind of the first person that, like, the first out person, like, female-bodied person that gave me, like, attention and, like, flirted with me. And um, they really, they made me feel really good about myself, which was not a thing I had really experienced a lot of before. And they... They are not anything like what I would go for. They were this, you know, backwards hat, cargo shorts, you know, very into sports and lanyards and all this stuff. And they smoked like incessantly. They smoked so much. And but and then they would come back from their break and they would spray on this like god awful like Avon perfume or whatever. And then, you know, so, like, I'm, I'm a very big hugger. I love giving everyone hugs. So at the end of the shift, they gave me, like, this big hug. This, like, ugh, this, we were just, like, oof, connected, right? And I went home, and I took my shirt off, and it smelled like them. It was, like, that intoxicating mix of, like, cigarettes and perfume. And I was just, like, so into it. I remember I, like, kept my shirt on my desk, and I would just randomly, like, go up and just, like, bury my face in it, and just, like, ugh, it was so good, and, like, I think that, like, got into my brain, and so just, like, anytime I, like, see them and smell them, I was just, like, I was just there. It was it for me, and I remember one day, I wasn't out at this time. I didn't understand, like, if they were serious, what was happening. I was still very young. And I, but I remember like, just kind of like clinging onto them, just kind of like following them, like wherever they would go. And I remember one time they went on a cigarette break and I was like, oh, like, can I come on break with you? And so we went to the back. It's like between like the dumpsters in the back and there's like, you know, restaurant like kitchen mats that stink and reek like right there and they're finishing their cigarette and whatever and I'm just like staring into their eyes I'm just like so obsessed with them at this point and I remember just kind of like getting a little bit closer to them and like and then I, I think they just like could feel my like yearning you know and so they like reached out and like kissed me and I was just like fireworks, explosions, this is the thing, this is everything, like, I had been, like, looking for, and that you see on the movies, it's nothing at all, like, of it was, like, movie, and I look back, and I'm like, oh, God, how, like, you know, how romantic after you're, like, just finished, like, smoking a cigarette, and there's the the beautiful waft of, like, trash coming from the dumpsters and whatever, and my parents used to go to that bar all the time, so, like, they knew Katie, and they, you know, 
she was very funny. She was very, like, outgoing and very, like, pleasant to be around. Just, like, made people feel good was one of, one of those people. And so when I came out to my parents, I said, like, I don't know what's going on. I might be bi, but, like, I'm in love with Katie. This is it, you know? And so I thought maybe, I don't know, I think I thought maybe that would, like, soften the blow, telling them I was bi, and maybe, like, oh, there's, like, a chance. Because I don't know at that time, you know? I'm, like, they also knew her, so I was, like, maybe this is better. Maybe, like, they can understand because they like her and, and what have you. And mm-hmm. it did not end up working well. Um, with, or, with or with Katie, yeah, ultimately. We kissed one other time. I went to, like, a party that they had. And, and, and I went to the party, and it was only lesbians there. And I was, like, just this young baby gay. And they knew, and they were just, like... They were not very kind to me, the, the people at the at the party, oh, you know. And I think it was, it was like a lot of like, oh, this person saved this person, they this person, and and whatever. And you know, Katie did end up like kissing me again, and I was just like, oh, just over the moon. And then after that point, you know, I kind of tried to like be wherever they were, and I think they were kind of like avoiding me. And then eventually they moved, and it was like, ugh, just. This heartbreak, this really, like, deep pain of, like, this person had such a big effect on me, and now I'm, like, so confused and questioning, and I don't feel like I have any sort of, like, understanding of what this means or what this is. Um, And it was shortly after that point. They had actually come back into town, and they were going to, like have like a get together thing and I was going to go and I was like you know I don't think this is good I don't think this is good for me mm-hmm. and it was actually that night that I met my my first girlfriend because they were like they gave me attention I moved to Portland in 2012. I was living in Phoenix at the time, and I was just like, oh, this is like the pits. This is like the butt crack of America. And I, you know, I was like, I, I need to go somewhere where I can get health care, where I could feel safe walking down the street, where I can, you know, I was married at the time, where I can like hold my wife's hand and not be like yelled at for it. So it was kind of like, where are the places? Where are the where are the blue places, the more metro places? And I need to get out of like the desert because it is not my it's not my aesthetic. And so I, I came and I visited a friend here, and he showed me a few places, and I was immediately just like done, sold. I had already talked to people who lived here and were able to get health care. I didn't know if transition, like medical transition, was in my future. But it was kind of like way in the back of my brain of like, well, I'm not going to look at that exactly head on because I don't want it to be like pipe dreams. (laughs) But if it could happen, like maybe that could be cool. Maybe that could be something in my future. And then I moved here and was like, it's like the best healthcare I've ever gotten. And it's affirming and it's now like become my passion um, working in like the healthcare industry. So... I watched Boys Don't Cry 
for an English project in high school, I think like sophomore or junior year. And I remember just being like, oh my God, like that affected me for like years. The first time I met an out trans person, I was just like mind blown. There's a trans guy who's like living out and authentically and is healthy and has a job. And so like moving to Portland, it was like, wow, I see all these other people who are like presenting in different ways. And sure, I've experienced like aggression here, but like not nearly how it used to be. And I feel safe walking down the street, being more androgynous or, or presenting more masculine one day and more feminine the other day or whatever. And I get to play with gender like however I want to. And that's freedom. That's freedom to be like, I'm going to wear a fucking bold lipstick today. I'm going to like paint my toenails. I'm going to whatever, like because I can. And so I started transitioning, um, you know, with hormones probably five years ago and I have always I always wanted top surgery both of my grandmas died from breast cancer very young and I always had this thought in my mind of like well at some point I'll probably get breast cancer and then I'll be able to have a double mastectomy and I'll get rid of them right which is so intense it's so heartbreaking now that I like think about it and so my body started changing after transition and in really cool ways I'm Greek Italian always been a very hairy person and that's always been like a really bad thing um growing up female like oh my god I was harassed like so much you know I started like smelling differently and the hair is sprouting and all this sort of stuff and I'm just like oh my god like I'm a beast I'm a monster you know <laughs> and now I'm like fuck yeah I'm a hairy beastly monster but yeah eventually it was just kind of like okay like I'm working with a therapist and I'm feeling really like gender affirmed. I've got this whole team of like providers behind me, you know, that like the, the more I'm transitioning, the less my depression is like pulling me down, the less, you know, anxiety, you know, there was more, there was some more anxiety during transition just because I'm kind of in this like, this in-between space where people don't know what I am and they don't know how to gender me and you know it's it's hard to get a job and all these sorts of things so I'm like struggling financially but I'm also like I'm mad about it necessarily because I'm like doing really good in all of these other ways and my health got better you know like testosterone like made me stronger which made my symptoms from Lyme disease actually a little bit better it gave me more energy it made me feel less cold you know it increased my body temperature and all these sorts of things and and eventually you know my doctors were incredible and got me to get approval to through medicaid to get top surgery um and so i did that and then you know a little while after that i was able to get a hysterectomy covered and all this sort of stuff like 
never in a million years would I have anticipated any of these things. Now I'm like, in my approximation, transitioned and feeling like super good in my body and like having amazing sex like pleasure isn't gendered i get to like experience my body now i get to be not just who wants to have sex with me it's like who do i want to have sex with what do i want the sex to look like how do i want to receive pleasure and there is some fetishization of trans people in general and i've actually found recently like i feel really good dating other trans people there's no lack of them, you know, like they're everywhere. And that's a really good thing to come from this like scarcity mentality of like, who will want to date me? Who will want to have sex with me? My body looks different. My body is different than other people. And we live in a penis centric world that is like, well, I'm obviously lacking because I don't have this flesh you know, that extends off my body connected here and really like working to be like, no, I give so much pleasure to my partners in so many different ways because I'm creative and I'm curious and I am intuitive and I am passionate. It doesn't fucking matter if I don't have a penis. I get a whole spectrum of different ways to pleasure someone that is not just like penis and vagina. I transitioned in, I think it's been about five years. So before that, you know, I was in a three-year relationship, five-year relationship to someone that I actually got married to, and then another three-year relationship. And I didn't really understand like dude you're like hella kinky so probably about a year maybe two years ago I started kind of like delving into kink and what it means to be poly and you know this is a point in time that I'm like getting more comfortable with my my body my trans identity and what that means and kind of growing into a place of like abundance like i am kind of an attractive person like i don't have to go from this state of fear of like who will date me as opposed to like who do i want to date or like have sex with or any of these things and so at that point, kind of exploring and doing like so much research and reading into what is kink, what is poly. And for me, they kind of went hand in hand. I know for some people that's not the case, but it was kind of, oh, I made both of these realizations at the same time. Of I believe in relationship anarchy. I believe that like you can be in love with multiple people at the same time. I believe that you know, my desires and fantasies and all these things are good things and are things that other people want and dynamics that, like, work really well. And, like, finding so much solidification of my queer identity within that because there are so many other people who are like me and are, like, encouraging of me to explore these parts. And I think there's just, like, this 
this outsider, this beyond the binary, this beyond, you know, relationship elevator sort of monogamous identity that we get to explore and we get to be weirdos and we get to be queer and, you know, ridiculous and extra and all of these things that like finally coming to it, it was like, oh, I'm not gross. I am not a pedophile. I'm not any of these things. I am a person who loves other people and pleasure and all of these beautiful experiences that like I now feel like I get to experience with other people who are like me and it's all consensual and it's all extremely fulfilling and filled with love and I'm like how could this be wrong this has helped me to like build all of my relationships with every person in my life queer people teach other people how to live more authentically My current partner and I were both like hella kinky and our kinks like match up so well. Like the first time that we had a sort of like impact session, we both knew what to expect. We had both like negotiated what we wanted to experience together and all this sort of stuff. You know, like when you're having sex, it was just kind of like oh, I'm, like, in the zone. Like, this is good. And everything that I'm doing is, like, working, and I'm, like, flogging, and I'm spanking, and they're, like, giving me this feedback that, like, it's really good, and they're kind of, like, falling into subspace, and I'm feeling, like, so big and powerful and dominant and all these things, you know, and, like, we proceed to, like, have sex, and then afterwards it was just, like, this moment of, like, laying together. They're kind of coming down, and they're just, like, they just start crying, you know, just, like, just, you know, that effortless, just kind of, like, tears rolling down the face, and I'm just, like, immediately, like, there with them and holding them, and I'm just, like, oh, I'm, like, so in love with them, like, oh, my gosh, like, when all the things just line up, and you're, like, the sex is good, the intimacy is good, the communication is good, like, the kink is good and so like I've experienced those things separate and I've never experienced them like all together and to be there and be like oh I feel like fully myself with this person like oh that's good stuff that's really good stuff The fun thing about being kinky and poly is that every relationship that I'm in, I'm like constantly learning. Like it's this really great thing. Like I've never had experience with a crop before, but this person really loves like being caned, you know, or or something like that and being like, okay, I don't know a lot about this. Like let me go and do like in some intensive research and to learn about the the differences of every implement or 
how to do it, where exactly on the body to do it, how to strike, just everything to make sure that like I'm doing it safe. And then like practicing, you know, like I'm going to make mistakes. But with those mistakes, I'm going to get a lot better so I can come into a new relationship and say like, I know how to cane. And recently, like I've, I've been in relationship with people who are maybe not quite as like versed in kink. And do they want to move in that direction or do they want to stay like kind of like more stable where they're at, which is like, you know, maybe like kink light, some a little bit of rough stuff here and there, some spanking or whatever. Before I'm like intimate with someone or kind of like investing in someone, I have a questionnaire that, <laughs> that I give people. This is an actual question. This is an actual question. Like a Google Doc or? Yes. I want to know everything. Like, I want to know what you like to call your body parts. I want to know, like, what are words that you like to use. I want to know, like, what are places that you don't want to be touched. I have a filled out questionnaire of myself, so I can give to other people that say, like, hey, listen, I don't want to be touched here. If you're going to refer to my body, this is how I want you to refer to it, because x y and z like i don't do this stuff these are hard limits for me if we are doing some sort of like impact play or something we need to have a system i personally use the red yellow green system of like green means go red is we need to stop everything now they would just say the word red they would say the word yet red or yellow means like let's change position or change uh intensity when it gets into like some of the other things that maybe you're like you've always like fantasized about having these experiences together that are so intense takes so much trust most of my life i've i've had like vanilla sex and i've made love and that's been really beautiful but now i get to have all of these different experiences with sex where sometimes i get to have sex sometimes i get to make love sometimes i get to fuck Sometimes, you know, it's outside of any of those words and it's always different. And with this partner, like, we get to experience all of those things together and it's all in love. Where I was going to college was like 7,000 feet. So it was like super high elevation. Well, every time I would come back to Tucson, I would get these like horrible nosebleeds. I was driving back and forth from college to go and visit my first girlfriend and we were having sex. We were like super early in our relationship and we were having sex and I was going down on her and I just like, all of a sudden I like lift up and I look and there's just blood everywhere. I've just like bled nosebleed all over her and I'm just like oh god like you know I'm young and I'm like in this new relationship and I'm just like can you help me and, and so she just like grabs a pair of like black basketball shorts or whatever she can find and I'm just like sitting there just like face covered in blood and she's just like sitting there just like laughing her head off and I'm like is this funny is this mortifying I don't know like and since then like it happened again. We were kissing and I'm on top of her and I'm like, you know, getting really excited and stuff. And all of a sudden I just start bleeding on her face and I'm just like, oh my God, what is happening? And she was so sweet and so kind about it. It is what it is. 
and you just shove some toilet paper up your nose and just keep going with it. I fucking love toys. Like, give me all of the toys. I will line them all up and we will experiment and play and whatever with everything because I'm a person with disabilities. So sometimes, like, there are certain things I can't do all the time, you know? And so I need to reach for this specific thing that is going to, you know, allow me to do what I want if I'm not physically able to. You know, I think the idea that, like, we should be able to do all of the things without, like, any outside assistance is really, like, ableist and recognizing like okay well maybe I can't do this thing right now but like how do I work around that and being like a trans man and wanting to feel strong and feel dominant while I have sex like that's been something that I've really had to work on and understand like I can still be masculine and receive I can still be dominant and receive and maybe not be physically able in that way in which case I need to use my confidence I need to give orders and maybe I need to use this toy in certain ways to help me do the thing that I want to do I have a strap on that is double-ended and it makes me feel really gender affirmed because it feels like it's it's a part of me you know and a wand vibe it's like a vibrator it's like a vibrator yeah there's also it's called the enjoy wand it is used for penetration it's g-spot stimulation and it is very effective in making people squirt um, which is so much fun and it's so easy to use. It hits like just the right spot. It's heavy as fuck, but like it takes so little effort to use it that like if I'm having a really hard day physically and I'm not able to like be as physical as I want to be um, because, you know, just something is happening with my body, just using two tools you know like taking two tools out of my toolbox is like such an effective way to make people feel really good I think a huge challenge for me in being sexually active is allowing myself to receive and not feel dysphoric in that. That means like receiving like blowjobs, you know, having internal stimulation because I've always given, I've always like been the penetrator. Mm -hmm. That was a lot easier to like keep people from experiencing my body because I wasn't comfortable with it. I didn't feel masculine receiving i didn't feel good i didn't know how to receive and still feel like i wasn't being submissive in some way but ultimately like i've been able to have more experiences of pleasure 
now that I feel so affirmed in my body and in my gender that I could never have pre-transition. The biggest difference between when I first came out and now is really having sex for my own pleasure as opposed to other people's. Having sex is good for you. Pleasure is good for you. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of it. And explore your body and what feels good and don't have shame about it. Fruitball interviews are edited for length and narrative clarity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitballpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruitball collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Episode sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write Dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are often suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate us on your podcast platform, or write a review on Apple Podcast. And, of course, you can also follow us, for now, on Twitter at Fruit Bowl Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Fruit Bowl Podcast. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. Assistant editing and mixing for this episode provided by Dave Pesner. I'm Rebecca M. Davis. This has been a production of Cubed Media, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening. <laughs>